right. Good morning, Reach Church. All right, so if kids want to head out to Reach Kids, they can do that now. Here we go. All right, so uh, it is a special Sunday, actually. Uh, you are all uh, privileged, and uh, I'm excited, too. Uh, so today we have a, a special preacher with us. Uh, we have Dr. Peter Loback. Now, Dr. Peter Loback is the president of Westminster Theological Seminary, uh, where I went to seminary. So... Uh, you know, anything that I have is, is because of men like Peter Loback. So, you know, you just get, you just get a thing secondhand. So this is, this is straight for, first from the, from the horse's mouth, uh, in, in a sense. That's not a very, a very uh, flattering analogy, I suppose. But anyway, uh, please welcome uh, Dr. Peter Loback. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and let, let me pray for us uh, before we begin. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all the promises that are in him. We thank you that these are not things that we take for ourselves, but these are gifts given uh, because of the work of Jesus, that he has earned them and he has uh, given them by grace to us. So, Father, would you uh, anoint Dr. Peter Loback with, uh, with a spirit that he may bring your word in all of its truth and in, in all of its glory? And, Father, would we uh, have ears to hear it and eyes to see the glory of Jesus? Would you give us uh, great joy in receiving this gift? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Good. Well, I want you to know it's not the first time I've been called a horse. <laughs> I'd, we teach students in homiletics how to do that. See, that's, that's designed to keep the preacher from being too proud, right? So, actually, my mother said I used to eat like a horse, so that's why I'm character. No, I'm really thrilled to be with you today because... Uh, I've gotten to know through the years when I used to pastor at EP Church in Newark, uh, the, the wonderful ministry that Pastor Chuck Betters was having, and so we became contacts, sometimes friends, sometimes ministering together. And uh, over a year ago, he told me about the re-beginning of Fairhill Church, and uh, that was uh, exciting, and he said, please come down and see this church. And uh, would you find anybody, maybe who's in the student body, who might be a, a, a pastor to come and help this church? And so I came down and I saw it and I went back and I talked to our dean of students, Mr. Steve Carter, and he said, oh, I've got a couple good names of really great young guys. And so they came and met and Chuck Better said, this Peter LeMay is incredible. I want him to come and serve. He's the guy. So, so here it is, Peter LeMay. Now, I got a call about six months ago, five months ago, and Chuck said, you know, you need to come and see what's happening at the church, the Fairhill Church. It's really exciting. You just need to come and see it, so come. So we set the date. The only problem is Chuck didn't tell Peter I was coming, so I, I show up. So this is kind of like a surprise inspection, you know, here. <laughs> The good news is that Peter's such a gracious man, he said, go ahead, you can preach. Now, if that happened in my church, I'd say, come back in two months, you know. <laughs> so he's made a much better gracious spirit than I am, that's for sure. But at any rate, I'm so delighted to see what's happening in the, in the ministry here. And so many things are changing. Now, I, I can't call you Fair Hill Church anymore. You're Reach Church. So I've got to get that in my, but it's, you're not just the only one. You're the two campuses of Reach Church. So I can't even find Glasgow Reformed Presbyterian Church anymore. Is that right? It's now just reach. Man, everything is changing, you know. But one thing that isn't changing is that Christmas is coming. 
And that's why we're here together today. So even though you have a, an unexpected preacher, I'm at least wise enough to know I better preach on Christmas because that's all what you're expecting right now, okay? So I'm just jumping right in. Now, the passage that I'm going to be speaking about today is found in John chapter 17. So I'll ask you to turn to that. We'll look at it. And you might say, wait a second. I thought Christmas was found in uh, Matthew chapter 1 and 2 or in Luke 2. What, what are you doing in John? You know, John is not the... In John 17, isn't that Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross? This is not the place to find Christmas. But I want to suggest to you that John is actually telling us about Jesus from an eternal perspective. When you look at the beginning of John, you remember how verse 1 begins of the first chapter? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, full of grace and truth. We behold in him the Father's glory. In other words, John's story is taking us not back to Bethlehem, not to the Magi, but all the way back to eternity past. And so he's going to tell us the story of Christmas from an eternal perspective and a timeless unity all the way through. And we actually know the great Christmas verse of the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now that verse of John 3.16 is really the heart of the Christmas story. Now as we think about it though, what we remember is Paul tries to describe this great sweep of salvation through history. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, what will he say? In the fullness of time, we know that Jesus was born of a virgin, made under the law to redeem us from the law. It's exactly at the right time when all that God had prepared, all of the prophets of the Old Testament, all of Israel's history, all of the things were just right. This is the moment where the miracle of the virgin birth occurs, the incarnation, God taking flesh on. He becomes one person with two natures, fully God, fully man, one person. But now as we turn to John chapter 17, what we find here is that Jesus is telling us about the hour, not just the fullness of time, but the precise moment at the fullness of time when everything that was intended comes to pass. Listen to what we hear in John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, those are the words in the upper room, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. All of history comes with Jesus Christ's birth and Jesus Christ's birth by which we still measure time to this day, 2018 in the kingdom reign of Jesus. This is the moment that begins everything that he came for. His incarnation, his virgin birth, his coming to the world, his being sent was for this. And here, Jesus is going to tell us about the gifts that are part of the Christmas story. 
As we think about gifts, we can't help but think about many things that come to mind. Uh, I think, for example, of some of the gifts. Now, I, I'm going to say something that's not real flattering to my mom. She's in heaven now. She's been there up there for several years now. So she, I know she's listening. She'll forgive me. She's sanctified now. <laughs> but mom, if you're listening, you always got me the wrong color shirt or the wrong size for Christmas ever since I left home. When I was at home, she knew my size. But after that, it was never right. And so I would actually have in my closet stacks of shirts that I couldn't give away because they were Christmas gifts for my mom. I felt it was, un it was unholy to give them away. They were love gifts. But I couldn't wear them. And of course, finally, after I collected several, I would finally say, where's a good place to give these where someone can put them to good work? So, you know, we get gifts that are, we really don't like. Some of you are frustrated because you've got to give gifts. You're saying, you know, I don't have enough money to give gifts to everybody. It's too hard. Or they're gag gifts, things that you don't really want. I, I remember hearing in Johnny Carson. Now, now, who's the talk show guy who's big today? Jimmy what? Okay, Jimmy Fallon. I, I, I think I've heard his name a time or two. I'm too old to stay up for those late shows nowadays. So I can go, there was Letterman, and then there was Leno, and back in Johnny Carson. Do you realize that's ancient history? You don't you never even heard of Johnny Carson, but he's the guy that started it all, right? And uh, I remember one particular show, he said, you know, we keep circulating this fruitcake. It's been around in our family for 100 years. We get it, we don't eat it, we hold it, and we give it to the family next year. It's been re-gifted, we don't know how many times. And so there's gifts, gag gifts, and gifts that we keep and don't want, and we re-gift them to other people. Now, we won't have a show of hands, but just close your eyes and raise your hands. I'll be the only one who knows now. Okay, how many of you ever re-gifted a Christmas gift? Don't look around. Raise your hand if you've done it. Okay, I see all those hands. We'll pray for forgiveness in just a minute. Okay, you can open your eyes now. I'm afraid you'll fall asleep, so keep them open. Okay, so giving is part of Christmas. And it's a confusing part of Christmas because obviously there are all these gifts that are being given and things that people have and we don't know if they're the right things. Uh, but the story of giving, as we look at John chapter 17, is woven into this beautiful chapter. And it connects us directly with Christmas itself. As I studied this passage for you this week, I discovered that the word giving, gift, in different forms is used 17 times in chapter 17. Isn't that great? Now that's, a, that's one of those synchronistic uh, concatenations, propinquities of uncertainty <laughs> that become utterly unforgettable. Okay, you'll never forget now. 17 givings in chapter 17, right? You all remember, let's go home. That's something you can, and now it's your homework assignment. You know, you're supposed to go home and improve the minister's sermon. You know, you have the minister for lunch every Sunday. I know you say, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. Or, not with Peter here. Yeah, I know that's not true. But on your, go back and read John 17 and underline the word giving or gift and see if I counted it right. 17 times. And as we look at this passage, when the hour has come, notice what we find in verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus calls himself 
by the name Savior Messiah, if we translate it. Isn't that amazing? He's praying to the Father. He's saying, I'm Yeshua, the Mashiach, the anointed one. And I am the one who has been sent. He's talking about his virgin birth. He's talking about his incarnation. He's talking as he's going to the cross about his coming to the world. This is the Christmas story. Notice what he says in verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He said, do you realize, as we listen in on this prayer, he said, I knew the Father before the world ever existed. I am the second person of the Godhead. He is the eternal Son who has become the Son in time. The Son who is ever one with the Father has now become the unique Son as Redeemer in history. And so this is the Christmas reality. This is why we celebrate Christmas. God visited us. He changed the whole world when he became man to establish the relationship that every soul needs with the living God. And so it makes sense. Christmas is about giving. Yes, the Magi from the Gospel of Matthew, they came with their gifts. But remember, they didn't come to give gifts to the Herod or to one another. Christmas is not about our receiving gifts from each other or giving gifts to others. It's about giving gifts to the God-man, giving gifts to the Savior. That's the real giving of Christmas. Now look, I'm not against giving gifts. Just make sure the shirt sizes are right when you give them. I think that giving gifts are a great thing. But the real gifts are the gifts that we give to Christ. Now as we look at this passage, I want you to see two great things. First of all, we're going to see the gifts that the Father gives to His Son. Gifts that the Father gives to His Son. I find six of them, six gifts. And they're described by a phrase that says everything that's given. So there's actually seven mentioned, but one is a summary of all of them in this chapter. And then we'll find that there are gifts that the Son gives to believers. So you see, this is a wonderful Christmas. He's the one that's sent, who has come from the Father. He comes... And he brings with him gifts that the Father has given to him, the one who entered time. And he then, how about this? He re-gifts the gifts. It's not a fruitcake that nobody wants. These are gifts that are precious. And he gives them to others. So let's take a moment and try to calculate them. You know, this chapter is worthy of a lifetime of study. And we are only looking at a few little things to scratch out of it. But I want to look at the gifts that are here. I want to summarize them quickly. So hopefully you'll be able to think about John chapter 17 and you'll be able to say, okay, John 17, there are 17 times the word gift or giving is here. And there are gifts from the Father to the Son. There's six of them. And there are gifts from the Son to all of us and there are three of them. Now that's the essence of our structure of our message. So let's try to take a quick look at each of the gifts now that we find. These are now the gifts that the Father gives to the Son that Jesus is thinking about at just the hour of going to the cross and he's thinking about being sent, about coming at Christmas. 
Christmas is directly connected with the story of redemption. And so we find, first of all, in verse 2, if you look in John 17, verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh, the Father has given to his Son the position of being over all that are flesh. Okay, we need to do a reality check here. Any of you have to take a shower this morning because your body needed a little cleaning up? Mine did, so I, I had to work really hard to get my hair just right. You know, when you got this old gray hair, you got to work on it a little bit. And uh, anybody eat breakfast this morning? Any of you make sure you were able to get in your car and drive? Your, you know, why did you do that? Because you're flesh. Is there anybody you've met who's not flesh? This is authority over all flesh. In other words, the great gift that the Father gives to the Son is there's never a person who the Son will meet that he is not the authority of. He is the Lord of all. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the great gift of the Father to the Son that we see at this Christmas season. We find it in the Great Commission. The risen Christ says, All authority is given to me on heaven and earth. Now therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. That's why we go, because the king told us to. Notice the second one that we find here. We find that he has a gift of people. A people that especially belong to him. Now you find that in verse 2. Notice carefully as we read. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. I want you to see that phrase. All whom you have given him. What's it saying is that Christ is the Lord of all flesh, but out of all this flesh, out of all these people, there are people that are given by the Father to the Son. These are the believers in Christ. In our theology, sometimes we call them the elect, the people that the Father has chosen. Four times in this passage, we will hear Jesus saying, the people who you have given to me, those whom you've given to me, they who you've given to me, those who you've given to me. We find it in verses 2, 6, 9, and 24. This is a theme that he's thinking of. I, Christmas, as Jesus is going to the cross thinking about what's happened, He's now saying, I'm going to be receiving the gifts that you've given to me, and they are my people, the people of God. Notice a third thing we find here. There's a gift of work. We find this as we look again at our passage in verse 4. It says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, work doesn't sound like a very good gift. Imagine you have a Christmas tree and you open up a package and it comes from your wife and you're the husband. It says, I give you the gift of shoveling the snow all winter long. I'm not helping. With that, you say, wait, I'm putting that one back under the tree. Or wives, you, you open it up, it's from your husband. And it says, honey, I give you the gift of taking out the garbage and cooking dinner every night all year long. Said, I don't want that put away. Mondays are hard. I, I, I'm a preacher, but I got to get up on Monday and go to go do my work at the seminary. And I'm actually the president, so you know who my boss is. Most of the time, it's me. 
And I have a bad boss. He makes me do things I don't want to do. I, I, I hate what the work he gives me. I say, why do I got to do that? I don't want to do that. I got to do it. Okay. So you might be self-employed and you have work and you make yourself do it and it's no fun. Well, but you know, there is some work that is an extraordinary joy and a privilege to get to do. One that came to my mind as I was meditating is that man named Epaphroditus. Remember him in the church that was born in a prison cell, Philippi? Uh, the Philippian church heard Paul now years later is in a prison in Rome. And they take up a love offering and Epaphroditus is given the gift of all of that money to travel some 800 miles, which was very dangerous, to go to another prison cell. But you know what? I bet he loved every moment. He said, I get to go and see Paul. And I get to make sure that he has food to eat and enough resources to be taken care of. And I get to hang out with him. I get to pray with him. And I get to pick his brain. And I get to go back and tell all the people what I learned. Now what a great gift that was. Well, guess what? That's the kind of work that Jesus was given. Yes, it was hard work. Yes, going to the cross was difficult. In theology, we talk about his act of obedience, where he obeyed all of the law of God, where Adam fell, you failed, I failed, Christ has kept it all. And then his passive obedience, he went to the cross. He obeyed the Father. He bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners so that we might have forgiveness and the righteousness of his life granted to us through faith. Now that was not pleasant, but you remember how the writer of the Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. He said, it's worth everything because I'm redeeming the people the Father has given to me. What a great gift. He uniquely is the anointed Messiah. He says, I am now accomplishing. I've accomplished it, and he's finishing its last moment at this hour. The Father's gift to the Son is authority over all flesh. A people out of that flesh given to him as his elect, and then the work that he's done to redeem them, and then to accomplish the kingdom of God. But it goes on. Not only is there authority, people, and work, but there also are the Father's words. We find this in verse 8. Words were given from the Father to the Son. It says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. When Jesus was sent as that little child in Bethlehem, he was already bringing the word from heaven. How is that possible? Well, by his very name. He was named Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus means? Hebrew Yeshua, it means salvation. His very name was the Word of God. He is the one that saves us from sin and condemnation and judgment, from hell to have everlasting life. He is the one who came to speak God's Word. When we open up the Gospels, we are hearing the most inspired person in the world. He's God inspired by God. Paul was not even inspired at that level. He was just a man inspired by God the Spirit. This is God being inspired by God to give the word through a human voice. And those are the words of Jesus that should be cherished and loved. 
God the Father gave Jesus the Christmas gift of bringing his word into the world. The Father gave to the Son authority, a people. He gave him work to do to redeem those people, words to those people that they might live. But it doesn't stop there. He gave them a name, the Father's name. The Son bears the name of the Father. Notice what we find as we look at verses 11 and 12. As Jesus is praying to the Father, he says in this remarkable verse, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. Your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. The Father's name has been given to the Son as a gift that is part of his coming in his advent. Now, do you remember what the Father's name is? Well, here in this text we'll find he's called Father, Holy Father, True God, Righteous Father. Four different names for the Father in this chapter. But what we also find is that the name of the Father is that story in Exodus chapter 3. Remember the story of the burning bush where Moses is out shepherding? Here's this 80-year-old guy still taking care of the sheep out in the desert. And he's going along. He sees this bush. And he sees it's ignited in flame, which is unusual in its own right. When does a bush just burst into flame? And he watches it burning. And the bush doesn't disappear. And the flame doesn't go out. There is an energy source and a presence that's not being drawn from the bush, but it's there burning. Theologians call that the aseity of God, the from himselfness of God. God doesn't need anything. He's present with full self-sufficiency in his glory. And as Moses looks at that, he says, what in the world is this? You hear the words, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And he realizes he's in the temple of God. God has established, if you will, his temple. And there God names himself. He says, tell them the, the I am that I am has sent you. The great name of God is the I am. That name is so sacred that the Jewish people would never pronounce it. We call it the Tetragrammaton. In English, it has been called Jehovah, or more accurately, probably Yahweh. But it is the name I am. The Father's name has been given to the Son as a Christmas gift. Well, where is that? Well, think about this great book of John. What does it say? I am the bread of life come down from heaven. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the door of the sheep. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. The Father's name is woven into this one because he's God in flesh. And that's why the Father is showering gifts upon the Son for his coming into the world for this hour beginning at the virgin birth because there's no one else like him. He is God in flesh, the Savior. 
The Father has given him authority over all flesh. The Father has given him a people out of all flesh to be his own. The Father has given him work to do to redeem these people. The Father has given them words so that the people know how to live. The Father has given to him the name of God the Father because he's brought these people into covenant union with God so that they might receive glory, which is first God's glory that he is now giving to his Son. Yes, the sixth glory gift is glory itself the Christmas gift to Christ from the Father. We can find this as we look at this passage in verses 22 and 24. As we read, it says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then you notice in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Glory, a name that's above every name. At his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. He shares in his glory fully. He's equal in power and glory. This is what the Father says Christmas is all about. The Father has given gifts to the Son. Amazingly, the Magi understood that Christmas is about bringing gifts to the Son. It's what the Father has done. It's what the Magi has done. And here we are giving gifts to everybody except to Christ. Do you think we've missed the mark? Notice secondly, as we wrap it up, not only do we see the gifts the Father gives to the Son, but notice the gifts that the Son gives to believers. That's to us, those who believe in Christ. And they are, yes, re-gifted gifts. And I want to remind you, they're not gifts that we wanted to get rid of because we didn't like them. Jesus is not giving us the proverbial fruitcake. He's giving us the treasures that belong to him out of love that we might share in his blessings. What are they? Three of them. Eternal life, verse 2. The word of God, verse 14. And glory, verse 22. These are now Jesus' Christmas gifts to you. In my office, <clears throat> every once in a while, I leave a gift I've received from one of my travels unopened. I have some gifts. I like I go, I'm in Korea. I go to a, a university where I get to speak. They give me a gift. I bring it back and I don't open it. I just leave it there. I've been to other places. People have given me a gift. I don't know. I don't even know what's in it. And I do it to remind myself, you can have a gift offered and never experienced. Is it possible that these gifts that the Father has given to the Son, that now the Son is giving to believers, they're here they are. And you've never taken them. You've never made them your own. They're here. Notice eternal life is one of them. Verse 2, it says... Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus Christ, who is eternal, who existed before the world began. Death could not control him. He rose again. He will come again. He's eternal. The life that he has, he extends. Because I live, you shall live also. 
Have you received this gift of eternal life? Now I know, we all know we only have so much time. We're finite creatures. We're all kind of calculating, if all goes well, how many years we might have in life. It's a little, little bit longer now than maybe it used to be, but maybe not. We can't guarantee anything. But you know what? If you died today, your soul does not die. You have been given a soul that cannot die. You've been given a heart and a mind, a personality that is eternal in character. That's why Jesus said so powerfully, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But he loses his soul. Your soul is eternal. Has your soul embraced the Christmas gift of life that does not end? Eternal life. He has a, this is Jesus' gift. Notice he gives his word. We read in verse 14, the word that he got from the Father, he says, verse 14, I have given them your word. The word of Christ has been given to you. Is the word of Christ something that you just simply know you have, but you never open up to read? Does the Bible ever get opened in your life? Maybe on Sunday when you come, but the rest of the time it's just put aside. Like one of those Christmas gifts that you really don't need? Or is this something that's the gift of God the Father to your soul? The Word of Christ has been given to you. It's God's Word through Christ to you unto everlasting life. In fact, this Word that brings eternal life is what ultimately gives us this hope of glory that does not end. In verses 22 and 24, hear it again. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. <clears throat> Verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you've loved me. In other words, the glory that the Father has that he's given to the Son, the Son now is giving to each of us. Again, we know when we look in the mirror and uh, early morning, we say, there's not a lot of glory here. I got to work hard. By the way, do you know where the word cosmetics comes from? It means to bring order out of chaos. That's what the Greek word it comes from. I'm not making that up. That's what cosmos, the word for world, it means an order out of chaos. Cosmetics is like, look at, something's got to work here. And finally you get it shaped up. The glory is vanishing. I tell you, as a later 60-year-old man, I'm starting to hurt in places I didn't even know I had. It's getting hard. That's our story. It's all of us. But you know what? Regardless of the pain, the hurt, the difficulty, the sorrow, we hear this promise. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul says, we behold him with unveiled face, going from glory unto glory, unto the image of his son. That glory is that work of Christ within us right now. It's the gift of Christmas from Christ to you. The glory the Father has he gave to the Son, he's given it to you. And that's the process of your becoming like this Christ. Well, we must conclude. And as I meditated on this, 
the two questions that I want to leave with you as we finish. First, have you received these gifts? Do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? I love what Martin Luther said. Faith is simply the hands of a beggar reaching out to receive a gift from a king. Jesus said, come on to me, all of you that are tired and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That presence that's unopened is offered to you to open and make it your own. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. This is the promise of Christ for you. And so I ask you then, what gift will you give to Christ in this season of giving? For that's what Christmas is about. You know, it's often been said, the wise men sought him. Wise men still seek him. A wise man gave him gifts, and wise people still bring him gifts. What is your gift for Christ? I love the saying of John Calvin, that great reformer. His motto was a hand with a heart in it. He said, my heart I give you promptly and sincerely. Today, that's what the Father is looking for, for you to give to a son. That's what the son is looking for you to give to him for this Christmas, your heart, your inmost being, your passions, your desires, your willingness and ache to be united with the living God. Well, you know, there are all those Christmas songs going on right now. I, I love to hear them. And there's some stations that begin to bother me because I listen to about 10 Christmas songs and I haven't heard one song about Christ. I learned about hippopotami, I've, my two front teeth, my heart that I gave you and you gave it away, Jingle Bells, Santa's Slays. They're all great songs. I don't have any problem with them. But you know what? There's one song that hit me. As I listen, all I want for Christmas is you. Well, you know what? Basically, that's what the gospel is saying. And Jesus is singing it. You know what I really want for Christmas? It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's me. Our hearts, let us promptly and sincerely give them to Christ. The Father has shown us this Son is worthy of all that we have, the best that we have. This beloved Son has so loved us. He's given us all that the Father's given him. How could we not love him? How can we not serve him? Father, would you please call now your people to a true faith. Bless our fellowship in your word. We thank you for this time. Spirit, move. Work faith in our hearts that we might live for you. In Christ's name, amen.